All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. everybody welcome to dropping the gloves with john and tim we're back on a tuesday sorry we couldn't go yesterday tim was hanging out with his mom deirdre finally made it to north carolina there had been two previous planned trips but they just didn't work out tim right but she was there how was the trip oh it was great it was good we just did a lot of uh we did a lot of walking exploring you know, the city and checking out restaurants and breweries and she got to meet the dog, which was great. And it was a good time. It was a good time. She flew back last night and now we're back into our normal routine. What's Deirdre's drink of choice? Is it a dark beer, a light beer, an alcohol by any perchance? She's wine primarily, but like when she goes to a brewery, she likes the hoppy IPAs, which threw me off. I wasn't expecting that. So yeah, it's just it's a, it's a whole new thing. Everyone drinks the hoppy stuff now. As because do I. in in Boston, that's not a really popular thing. A hoppy beer, or never used to be. It was mostly Sam Adams easy drinking beers. Well, and then there's a thing called New England IPAs, which is a hazy one that aren't filtered. They're like thick and yellowish almost. I don't yeah. love them as much, but people people go crazy for them. You know what a good beer is? It's called Labatt Blue Light. It's great. <laughs> You guys should you guys should look it up. It's it's I've it's great. You can drink you a go dozen to the gas of them. station. You pick oh. up a tall boy. You get bar. twelve. You get a twelve pack, and you can drink six of them, and you feel fine the next morning. You know what I mean? Like it, it is like I I had that whiskey bathtub story last episode. I was struggling the next morning. It's not fun. So it's just classy. It's a classy good beer and these new it's it's a fad the hoppy thing is it's already gone it's already starting to go here in michigan and traverse city everybody was opening up hop farms you were here when that was happening tim everybody was having hop farms you, you drive out into the country it was hops 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 they're all done now they're all they all went out of business because nobody cares anymore they've moved on now it's marijuana in this area everybody's marijuana that's gonna go and then it's gonna be something else so i was at church on sunday and my priest has given his homily. What does he talk about, Tim, within the first 20 seconds? Hummingbirds. Can you believe that? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I didn't know I was, where you were going with that. 
I'm like, what is going on here? And he goes, I was just exchanging text messages with my brother-in-law and he told me that, guess, okay. Guess how fast, Tim, a hummingbird's heart beats per minute. How many beats per minute does a hummingbird's heart beat? How many is a person's heart? Uh, uh, If you're in active, like the most active you can get, maybe 150. That's like really active. That's strenuous activity. You're sprinting up and down a field. 150 beats per minute. A resting heart rate is around, I want to say 80, 85. But a hummingbird, Uh, a little hummingbird, what is their heartbeats per minute? Well, this part of the uh, the sermon was the heartbeats per minute. Yeah. I'll say 200. 200. That's what you're guessing. 1,000. Hold on. Let me think of it. It was 1,260. That's what it was. 1,260 beats per minute, a hummingbird. Try to wrap your head around that. 1,260 beats per minute. There's 60 seconds in a minute. That means that's 21 beats per second. Do you get that? How fast that is? It doesn't seem possible. And that's slow. That's too slow. That's insane. Hummingbirds, I'm telling you, man. Amazing. Do the kids care about the hummingbirds yet? Or is that still? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'll get home and they'll be like, dad, it's sat on the feeder for like 20 seconds. It's getting really comfortable. I'm like, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. Because yeah, initially they would just come in, you know, dip their beak. And I've talked with this before, but yeah, it's getting very comfortable just in and around the, the house. And it's great. And then on the opposite side of that 1,260 beats per minute, this is how cool hummingbirds are. They can go into a almost coma state if it gets really cold at night where they slow their heartbeats down to almost 50 beats per minute. That's insane that you can go from one extreme to the other. Ugh, that's pretty cool. Anyways, I'm like, that was cool. Hummingbirds. Moving on, Tim. We missed Monday's show, so we didn't get a chance to recap game two of the lightning avalanche. We've already had game three last night. What? Here's what I'm getting at. It, speaking of contrast to 1,260 beats per minute to 50 beats per minute, the contrast between losing seven to nothing and then coming back to winning six to two, it's hard to wrap your head around that. It's how are these teams able to just flip a switch and go from one route to another route? I was just, I was watching last night's game. And I was expecting it to be all the same. I expected Tampa Bay to have a little bit more of a pushback. They needed a better start. Colorado had scored three goals in the first period, the first two games. I expected them to have a little bit more of a pushback. To go out and to, and we'll break down the games. We'll talk about like the important stuff and this and that, injuries and whatever. I was just trying to wrap my head around last night after the game. Like, is there any other sport that this could happen in where? One game, you ju- like seven nothing. That doesn't happen in the Stanley Cup Finals. That is not a thing. It is very rare. Mark Messier said it. He's like, that was the most dominating win I've ever seen. And Mark Messier has seen some hockey. And then to turn around 48 hours later, regroup, recompose to come back and lay that same drubbing on the team that just threw a touchdown and an extra point on the board. That's amazing to me. 
is there any other sport where momentum is, it is a real thing. Like you could tell Tampa Bay was more confident as soon as Colorado had that first goal disallowed and Tampa Bay started to get their, get their feet wet, get the momentum. I know Colorado scored not too long after that, but then Tampa Bay, for whatever reason, you could tell they're like, okay, we're on the four check. We're on our toes. There was, they were a different team. They were a different team from game two to game three. But is it like that's a huge goal to be dash seven to go and win plus four? That's an 11 goal differential. That's a big swing. That's huge. It wouldn't happen in football, wouldn't happen in baseball, wouldn't maybe in baseball because the pitchers play such a large, large part. But in any team sport, it's so rare. And I was just like thinking to myself, how fun is this? We finally get ourselves a series. And it's just, we're very, I'm so happy Tampa Bay won. I'm so happy because even watching last night, we were talking before we came on the show. I just kept expecting Colorado to come back. I'm like, okay, Tampa's up four to two. Here we go. Colorado's going to get this power play. It's going to be four to three. And then they're going to go on and they're going to blow out Tampa Bay. And it just didn't happen. Tampa Bay always had that key play, that key goal, that key stop. Vasilevsky played great. I don't know. What do you think about this? Just to contrast him from game two to game three, because it was just, it was black and white. There were two different teams out there. Well, it's so uncharacteristic of Tampa Bay. Like, you, you know, if they lose one, win one, you think both games are going to be like four or three or something like that. And if it was, you know, uh, the Oilers or the Panthers or another team like that, Carolina, you'd be like, okay, that makes sense. I could see that. But but for the, this is something we usually don't see from the Lightning. So I think it just goes to show how strong the Avalanche are and how they're able to put up seven on the board and even against the, the reigning cup championship. Although I, I will say that like, it's seven nothing the game was really over like what four nothing you know what i mean like how 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 much is the effort at that point even in a stanley cup game you're kind of getting ready for for the next game at that point aren't you yeah to a point but you also want to every game you also you need to take something from that game that you can kind of hang your hat on for next game and we saw the edmonton oilers do it when they played calgary where they they get blown out but they have a, they come back in the second and third and like okay we can play with these guys you, you want to be able to leave a game with something to build on for the next game. And in game two, there was nothing Tampa Bay could build on. It was an absolute complete and utter domination in every facet of the game. There was no area where any player on Tampa Bay could say, you know what? We can hang with these guys. You know, our PK was pretty good. No, it was garbage. Our power play was good. No, it was terrible. Our five on five. We did good. No, it was good. Our, our zone entry, this and that, or everything was bad. There was nothing for John Cooper to work with. There was nothing he could say, you know what, Vassy, you, pl- you played well. You, you know, it was a couple bad bounces. No, Vassy played bad. Everybody played bad. So there was nothing for them to work with for game three. So it's just, this is a situation where experience, there's no counting for experience. They threw that game away. They went to Tampa Bay. And when I think of philosophers, Tim, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, Descartes, all of these amazing philosophers, some of the greatest minds in history. I think I think it was Immanuel Kant who said the series doesn't start until the home team loses it. Was that him or was that you, Tim? I can't remember. There's so many good philosophers that run through my head. Who was that? That was Machiavelli, actually. He said that in The Prince. Okay. Yeah. It's just that quote was ringing in my head watching game three where I'm like, Tampa Bay, 
they're going to win this game and they're going to win game four and it's going to be best of three and no one will remember games one and two. It'll be so far in the past. Who cares? The seven, nothing drubbing. And John Cooper said it perfectly in the Tampa Bay lightning. They had great reactions after that game. He said, I don't care. Game one, we lost in overtime game two. We lost seven, nothing. They're both losses. Who cares how we lose the game? They're, they're losses. We'll move on. We'll regroup. We will evaluate our game and we'll move forward. And that's exactly what Tampa Bay did. Let's just, just, we'll break down game two. We talked about it a little bit. I know we missed Monday's show. I don't, nobody cares that we break down game two, but what did you take away from that game? I don't want to go through goal by goal and like beat that to death. I think everybody's already watched the highlights and this and that. Was there anything from game two, Tim, that you took away that was just like, wow, like that, that was pretty impressive. Yeah, obviously seven nothing. You know that's kind of the story, scoring seven goals. But I think just equally as important is is how dominating they were in the defensive end in containing Tampa Bay's goal, not giving them any chances. A couple of stats here that that really stood out to me. First of all, Tampa Bay only had sixteen shots on net, which is not at all characteristic of them, and they're not quite as like the high shooting team as as the Avalanche are, but still sixteen shots on net and six slot shots. Only six. That's a very, very small number, uh, which shows they're keeping them outside. They're they're forcing the turnovers. They're not letting them get into their zone a ton. Um, only two rush chances, which again is, is kind of shows how strong they are in the neutral zone to contain them, keep them on the outside. They have a guy back. They're not giving up the odd man rushes and zero odd man rushes against. And that's like that's that's a, one of maybe the crazier ones. You always see four, five, six, seven, eight a game over the course of both teams. And they didn't allow any in, in, a, in a Stanley Cup game. Just shows how strong they are defensively, not just in, in scoring goals. Tampa didn't have their legs. And I said it, Tim. I said, watch out for game two. Game one, you're in Colorado. The altitude doesn't affect you. And I'm not saying, I, you know, I'm a, this Nostradamus type person. But game two, I was like, heads up. It's going to catch up with you. And Tampa looked like they were skating quicksand in game two. Did it not? It didn't look like they had any jump. They had no lungs. Colorado was first on every puck. Every battle was won by Colorado. And it just, it translated to a seven, nothing game. And I don't know if I'm right or if Tampa Bay was just that bad and Colorado was that good, but it seemed like they were a different team. Everybody was outworking the the Tampa Bay lightning. There was nothing that Colorado could do. That would be bad. It was just, we're going to win the battle. We're going to outmuscle you. We're going to score when we want. And the guy who led the charge in that game, it wasn't the superstars. Yes, McKinnon was good. Yes, McCarr got a couple late goals, the shorty and the, the power play. What, what a bold move by Bedner. Six nothing, throwing out your number one power play unit. Did you, did you notice that little detail? Colorado just spiking the ball on Tampa Bay right at the very end there. And then Tampa, we'll, we'll get to this. Tampa tries to reciprocate last game, maybe shoots him in the foot because Kucherov, he was already a little injured. Maybe he tweaked something on that one-timer, really drove in the, the groin injury that I think he has. But up 6 nothing, McCarr gets a 7 nothing goal. Other than that, the guy who is the best player, and then best player, that's in a relative serve, the guy who's scoring most of the goals, Nashuskin. This guy, Tim, he is doing things that I didn't think were possible for him. He's a big-bodied forward. He's getting to the paint. He's getting open. McKinnon's finding him. He is scoring goal after goal after goal. He had two goals in game two. He should have had a goal last game if it wasn't for stinking Bowen Byron. What are you doing? Sitting there dusting the puck off, like past the puck. 
get it off your stick, just waiting for it to get outside the blue line. We'll touch on that a little bit too. But what is this guy doing, Tim? He is doing things. He was a, he was a type of player. He was like a Jesse Polviari type player. He was a, a high draft pick, lots of potential, didn't really pan out. All of a sudden, this guy has exploded onto the scene. This Not only this playoffs, but this season, he's been playing fantastic. Who else for the Avalanche have been pulling the rope here? Because it's not just their first line. Who have been good? But it's been a, it's been a group effort for the Avalanche. Yeah, well, we talked about it, you know, last week when we previewed the series, kind of asking who the hero is going to be because you know that who the top guys are going to be, and and largely they cancel each other out. You I mean Land- Landis Gallagher and McKinnon Rantanen are just as good as Damko, Palat, Kucherov, et cetera, et cetera. There's always those secondary guys that come up, and we even talked about how the Avalanche balance their line instead of having their, their one superstar line that kind of balance out the top two. But Nutuskin, I think, it needs to start belonging in, in with those bigger names the way he's performing. And um, it, it, like you said, it's 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 the the synergy that he has with with McKinnon. He's finding the open spot, finding the open ice, burying his chances. He has two goals in game one, two goals in game two. Should have had another in game three, like you said. And then in game two, the seven nothing drubbing, Cogliano had two assists. Yeah, Darren Helm has a goal after scoring the game-winning goal against uh, St. Louis earlier this playoffs. Burakovsky, healthy scratch, kind of coming back, dealing with a little, little bit of injuries. Day-to-day, comes in, one goal, one assist. Josh Manson, the deadline acquisition, one goal. He's, I think that's the third goal of the playoff run. Like, you got the depth guys coming in. You have the, the, the trade deadline acquisition coming in, playing well in the biggest moment. But Nachuskin has to be the number one story for the Avalanche right now. Well, without a doubt. The guy has resurrected his career. I remember playing against him when he was with Dallas. He came in, bit like I said, big-bodied Russian. I don't know when he was drafted. I think he was maybe he might even been a free agent coming over from Russia. I'm not sure. No, he was a first-rounder, drafted 10th overall. And he, he was okay as a rookie. You know, I think he had 30-some points, didn't really light it on fire. But the expectations were there. You know, he had all this, he had all the tools in his tool belt, great hands, very physical player can skate relatively well for a guy, his size. And then it just didn't work out. And then he was gone and he went back to Russia and everybody thought, well, he's going to stay in Russia. He went to play in Moscow, you know, get massive success over there. And then he comes back, back to Dallas has a decent season. There goes to Colorado, not putting up great numbers. His first two years in Colorado. Then all of a sudden this year, something clicked. He was almost a point per game guy. Maybe it's because he's a UFA. He's pushing for that contract. But when you look at this Colorado team, if you don't have to, if you have to focus on all these other guys, yes, McKinnon's dynamic. Like I, he is so fun to watch. He has seven gears to his speed. And it's just like, nobody can keep up with him in the offensive zone in the neutral zone. He'll get the puck and everybody watch him. He's amazing. But if you have to work, worry about a Nishuskin, and you got to worry about a Burakovsky, and then all of a sudden, well, Helm and Cogliano are scoring. It's a different team. So these guys give the Avalanche just a different look that most teams don't have. When you look at the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, right now, they won 6-2. If you stop their first line, they're pretty inept, 2-3-4, three, uh, three, in, my, in my opinion. If, if you stop Kucherov, Stamkos, and Palat, you beat the Tampa Bay Lightning at this point with Braden Point out, with all the other. They're not the same team that they were in years past. So I think Colorado will figure this out and slow down that first line, which they were dynamic, and we'll get to that. But Nishuskin, he made three million this year. Tim, he's going to be a UFA. A quick question: 
What does he garner in the offseason? He's six foot four, 210, soon to be Stanley Cup champion forward, played a big part on this team. What does he garner in the offseason? Can Colorado keep him around? What do you think is a good number for him? Well, it, the the track record for success is not very long. He's played really well. There's always that recency bias where you play well during a certain playoff stretch or one season, and all of a sudden that's what people remember and not the years of a mediocrity or struggles or anything like that. So, you know, you try to take emotion out of it, but he's so exciting right now and he's scoring these big goals. And, you know, all the GM that are like, man, we've got a good group. We're one or two pieces away, and he's the exact kind of piece that you'd want to add to your top six. What is he worth? He's never made $3 million in his career. He's always like two and a half, two point eight, whatever. Probably worth, like, in my mind, like four and a half, but I think he's going to get a lot more than that. What's your number? Yeah, I think four and a half, five is right where he's going to land. They said that the salary cap's raising just a little bit, and he'll get that bump from winning the Stanley Cup. I I was fortunate enough to be a beneficiary of that bump where I got to go to Chicago because all those guys who had just won the Stanley Cup got a big race, and they all left. The Andrew Lads, the Adam Burrishes, the Ben Eagers, the Dustin Bufflins, all these guys, they you get a bump from being a winner. Everybody values that experience, that pedigree. So after a Stanley Cup, all those guys want more money. We saw it with Tampa Bay last year, the Barkley Gordero, Blake Coleman, Yanni Gores. I know Yanni Gord was an expansion draft, but all these guys, they get a raise just for being on a cup. And then they go somewhere else and they're good, but maybe they're not worth the money that they're being paid. So he'll, he'll get that bump from winning a Stanley Cup. And yes, he's good. He's better than the guys I just mentioned. But yeah, he'll, he'll land in the $5 million mark, which is good for him. And he'll... You know, he'll settle somewhere in the 40 points per year and it'll end up being a bad contract because I don't think he'll be as motivated as he was this year with the UFA, the excitement of going to the Stanley Cup. And he's he gets to ride shotgun with McKinnon. You know what I mean? How 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 fun is that? We talk about Alex Debrinket. It's easy to play hockey when you're playing with a superstar. It's fun to come to the rink and you're like, oh boy, I get to go and play with Nathan McKinnon. Like I'm sprinting to the rink right now. I am driving as fast as I can in whatever car I drive to go and ride shotgun with McKinnon. Oh, on the, on the other side, I got Landis God, who's not too bad himself. Like, there, why would you not want to play hockey? Just say he goes and signs in Dallas or Montreal or another team, and he's not getting the pitcher-perfect passes. He's not getting the, the, the same type of center play that he's used to. You think he's going to be as motivated? He's already got five schmill in the bank for the next five, six years. I don't think so. This season, what did he get, 52 and 62? What were his stats? Yep, I think it was 25 goals. Yeah, 25 goals, 27 assists. I don't think he touches 30 goals again, unless he stays in Colorado. This is his high mark. That's his high water mark. I think he settles in around 40 points a year. That's Nishuskin. I don't don't think he's going to use this as a springboard to superstardom. I think he's a good second guy, second line guy. Lock him in for 20 goals, 20 assists, 25 assists. I don't think he touches 30 goals. I don't think he touches 60 points. I think that's just how, what better situation can you be in? And he, and he still got 52 points. I know we didn't play with McKinnon all season long and he didn't get a full season and he only played 62 games. I'm just saying this could be a Galchenyuk situation where he just hit it out of the park. But when you look at his past track record, like you said, he's getting like 30 points, 30 points, 20 points, 21 points. Now he's got 52. 
it's it's going to even out to him. We're spending a lot of time on Nushuskin because he's playing very well. He is he is he's driving their offense. He's a force out there. When he gets the puck, you notice him. When you notice, you notice McKinnon, you notice McCarr, you notice Nushuskin. Those three guys in Colorado, I'm like, whoa, like they're when they get the puck, you your ears perk up. Like they're gonna do something pretty special here. Landis Scott not seeing somewhat, but you notice when these guys get the puck on their stick. And the same goes for Kucherov. The same who else for Tampa Bay? I think just Kucherov. I don't really care when Samkos has it because he doesn't. He's a shooter. But anyways, here's a question, Tim. I'm going to pose to you: two two unrestricted free agents, Palat or Nashuskin. You're a GM. They're going to both make around the same amount: four and a half, five million. Palat might make a little more just because he does a little more in the back end penalty kill. Who would you rather take these between these two guys? Yeah, it's close. And Nijushkin's kind of the, the exciting name right now, but I still go Palat. I think he's worth more. He's got a longer track record. Obviously, you know, <clears throat> he's got two cups, maybe more. If I had to pick one, I'd pick Palat. But you can't go wrong with either one. And both of those guys are going to get paid this summer, that's for sure. I think you can go wrong with one. I, th- I think you can go wrong with Nijushkin. <laughs> I think Palat is a safer pick. He He's not – well, he is as sexy as Nijushkin. Did you see the goals he was scoring? Man, he's a good player. So I'm going Palat. Lights out, hands down. He's the better player than Nashuskin is. And that's the thing. It's so frustrating when you see a guy like Nashuskin. I'm saying his name, name a lot. He's 6'4, 220 pounds, 210 pounds. Like, please go dominate every single game. Go, go be that player because you're showing it at times and you, you have the ability to do it. The mental side of it, he doesn't want to. And I, I, there's no, you can't, you can't teach that. It's either there or it's, it's not. And, Sadly enough, he doesn't seem to have that mentality of like, I'm going to go and make all these players look terrible and I'm going to be the alpha male out there. You know, it is what it is. Did you see that quote from Yager about Nichushkin? I did not. Uh, They played together in Dallas when Nichushkin was a rookie, I think in 2013. And Yager said in 2013, he said, this kid's going to be the best player in the world someday. He's talking about how talented he was, his size, and you think, okay, like you just said, you should be going out and dominating, and he's not there. And maybe he was exaggerating, but I thought that was kind of cool. We're seeing this 10 years later. He's finally doing what he's capable of. They could not have played together, Tim, because the Yager streak's going to be broken this year. Oh, yeah. Well, he was played against them then. Maybe he saw him somewhere along the way. Okay. That makes me feel better. Maybe he saw him along the way somewhere. All right, moving on. Moving past the 7 nothing game, moving on to game three. What were your expectations, Tim? What did you want to see? Were you expecting another drubbing? Darcy Kemper posting another shutout? What was going through your head as they dropped the puck for game three? No, I expected I expected the Lightning to punch back. I don't think I saw – I expected what we saw last night with the 6-2 to two game, but I, th- I think I, I expected Lightning not to go down – uh, in it down three nothing, and and it was a good game last night. I thought it was good. And you, what you saw was the the lightning kind of superstars, the the power guys, taking the reins and leading the charge. You had two points each from Stamkos, Kucherov, Palat, and Hedman. The best players were the best players, and I think the bigger story probably in last night's game. I mean, Calgary, I mean Colorado played pretty well. It was the goaltending. Vasilevsky played pretty well, not not elite elite, but he played really well. He played well enough. But uh, Kemper gets pulled after five goals, letting in some goals that he shouldn't have let in. And it was a, kind of a story where you could really see the, the striking contrast. And I thought it would play a bigger role in the series. And this is the first time we've really seen it play a major impact in the outcome of a game, the difference between the Vasilevskys and uh, Kemper's and Francois's of the world. Yeah, because I think when you just watch the game and take the goals away, if you just eliminate every single goal during this game, and I know it's hard to do, 
and you just watch it, Colorado was the better team, in my opinion. I think they carried the play more. I think they were the more aggressive team. As good as Tampa Bay won, they get they get six goals on Kempfer. I just feel like for a 60-minute game, Colorado was the better team. Colorado puts up 39 shots. I know Tampa Bay got 32, which is a high mark for them. They get a couple power play goals from Colorado. Vasilevsky played fantastic. That was his best game of the series, obviously, by far. And the reason Colorado lost is Darcy Kempfer. I think Darcy Kempfer played terrible. Um, I was a proponent to start Frank Kuz in game one. I feel like he earned it. He's six and oh, this playoffs, he's been playing great. He's done nothing to dissuade me from having anything but confidence in his game. I get why you'd put Kempfer in. He was your goaltender. He was your starter. He was the guy who got you there somewhat, even though I think a, a regular goalie would have got them there also. I think you go with Francois for game four. I think that's the, the logical choice. Kempfer did not look good. He was letting in weak goals. I think out of the six goals Tampa Bay scored, one was on Frank Quaz. Out of the five that Kempfer <laughs> let up, one was legit. I'll, I'll give him the Steven Stamkos goal was legit. That one was upstairs. I don't think he had, he, had, he still had a chance. But the plot goal he should have saved. The Nick Paul goal, he definitely should have saved. The Sorelli goal, he definitely should have saved. And who, I don't know who got the other one, but he should have saved it. There was four goals where it's just like, come on, Darcy, what are we doing here? The the Maroon goal. All four of those mm. are savable goals. If that's Vasilevsky, he saves all of them. And potentially the Stamkos goal. That's not taking anything away from Tampa Bay. They're getting in that situation. They're getting the pucks to the crease. They're getting the pucks to the dangerous area. They made a concerted effort last night to put pucks in dangerous areas. Game two, game one, they were perimeter plays. They didn't drive to the net. They didn't try to get to the slot. They didn't try to force pucks. They were throwing everything on net. The the bottom three lines were the Kucherov, Stamkos, and Palat. Man, are they good. The two-on-twos, the three-on-twos, the three-on-threes are so creative. They have so much patience. It's so hard for a defenseman when you don't have that back pressure. And this is where Colorado kind of bites them in the bum a little bit because they get so aggressive on the offensive end where if you have a two-on-two, and you have a full zone behind you where you're not getting any pressure, you can slow up, you can take your time. And as a defenseman, you just can't slow up skating backwards because you lose the advantage of, you try to match the speed of a forward. And it's so much easier to slow down and then burst the speed when you're skating forward. Whereas if you're going backwards and you're trying to slow down and all of a sudden you got to go fast and it's like, you don't want to cross over as a defenseman because that way the forward can go left to right and you're out of position. And it's, it's just so hard. And you saw Taves and McCarr get caught again where Palat and Kucherov have so much time. They're taking their time. They're buying their time. And here comes Stamkos for the three-on-two, ranting and over back checks, goes to Stamkos, and he just feeds it across, and Palat's wide open, and it's a three-two. It's, it's a goal, and it's up two-to-one. It was an amazing goal. So I don't know where I was going with that, my, my, my thought process. I just got talking about that first line. Oh, back to Frank Kuz. I think he needs to start game four. I think when he starts game four, Colorado will have a better effort. And all in all, I think Colorado was a better team. Don't you? Or was Tampa Bay better in a 6-2 win? Because I just kept waiting for Colorado to come back. I was like, they're going to come back. They're, they're, then Vasilevsky makes a great save. I'm like, they're going to come back. And then they just missed the net. They're going to come back. And then something happens where it's just a bad goal, like the Sorelli goal. I'm like, what are we doing here? They're going to come back. And then Pat Maroon gets his number five, which is just a joke of a goal. Can the Tampa Bay Lightning 
build on this because I don't think they were the better team, Tim. I, I do. I think yes. I think they'll they'll be better in game four, especially. I don't know who starts game game four for for Colorado. I don't think it really matters. I think Tampa is going to come back and tie this thing up because even from like from from the jump, you know, Nachushkin goal got called back, which we can talk about. I thought it was the right call. It looked offsides to me. But other than that, like you had you know, Tampa Bay would score and then score a few minutes later, then score a few minutes later and just keep driving to the net. It seemed like they could kind of do what they wanted out there. And the difference was being able, like you said, driving, driving to the net, finishing their chances, a couple of power play goals. I thought the Palat goal was really well, really good. I don't, I don't, I don't blame Kemper for that one. I mean, maybe, maybe Vasilevsky makes that save, but that's not a save that like you get mad at your goalie for missing. So I think Tampa does play really well in game four. I think we see this tied up. No, I don't. I, I hope so. I really do. But let's just go. We'll, we'll go to the keys to the game, what I thought, and some questions going into game four. Injuries. Braden Point did not play day-to-day. Still no update. You think he, we see him game four? I don't. I think maybe if, if, you, if, you have, if the Lightning had lost game three, they might bring him back. But uh, what's his name? Cooper was asked after the game about him when he said still no timetable. So I don't think we see him for game four. Kucherov. This is the big question. Ending this game, he gets taken down by Devin Tays going into the boards. John Cooper made some statement. Oh, uh, players know what they're doing with their stick. He knows what he's up to. He's a slick player. No intent to injure. He was going into the boards. Kucherov just gets tied up. Taves' stick is there. It, it was an innocent play. Kucherov goes in awkward. His left leg looks to get kind of bent at a whack a little bit when he goes in there. What? Any update? You're a Tampa Bay insider. Anything from Tampa Bay? I know it's tight-lipped in the playoffs. They won't even mention where he's injured. They just say he's, you know, there's no. T- what, what's what's the news from Tampa Bay, Tim? Uh, not a ton. Um, I think I think he is back. You know, I think if if it was early in the game, you would have seen him come back and play some more. Um, Cooper was asked after the game, said no update, so we don't know a ton yet. But I think he, I think he'll be back. It didn't look bad enough that I thought he's he's not coming back. I tell you what, he took that one timer though and skated right off the ice. He's like, get me out of here. And he he limped and hobbled back to the locker room. Did not look good to me. Those are the scary ones. When guys get hurt with on a no impact play, that's where okay, something something's really wrong there. Well, it was an impact play when he got hurt because he got thrown into the board. When he got hurt, but when he skates after when he skates off after the one timer, I mean, with something is still not right, even though he hadn't been hit again there. Yeah, I don't think he really tested out his leg a little bit. He he just was like, "Oh, I'm fine. Nothing really feels good." Then you you twist and you're like, "Oh, that doesn't feel good at all." Like, let's let's get out of here. All right, Nick Paul, ankle injury looked like he got twisted up again. What's the status on him, Tim? He came back, scored a big goal, terrible goal by Darcy Kemper. <laughs> what do we? It goes under his arm. The I don't know what hole we call that nowadays. The eight hole. Got to save that. What's what's the update on Nick Paul, Tim? Yeah, what a tough player he is. Um, we, we talked about it when they added him at the deadline. They said you. There was a great clip we posted about him and Hagel. It said they're gonna, they're going to win these guys a game at some point, probably more during the stretch of the playoff run. And they scored some big goals, both of those guys. Nick Paul goes down the lower body injury, goes down the tunnel. Everyone was talking about it. You know, he's gone for a little bit. Comes back out, first shift, goes out and scores a goal. Comes back to the bench, goes right back down the tunnel. He's playing through something pretty heavy. Um, I think he's fine. You know, I, like I said, if it was a if it was maybe a tighter game, if it was earlier in the game, we probably would have saw more of him in the second half. So I think the fact that it was uh, they were up by a bunch and and he had scored already, they they were a little bit more careful with him than they would normally be. So I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be back for game four. 
All right, and the only injury for Colorado is Nazim Kadri, Tim. I, I, I hear he's resumed his skating. Any update on him? Yeah, he skated yesterday morning, was taking shots. I saw the video of it. Didn't really look too comfortable out there. Wasn't putting much weight into it yet. He's still not even really day-to-day. They're kind of saying he's uncertain to return in the final, finals at all. Not, not ruling it out, but it's unlikely. So definitely not for game four, I would say, and probably not for the rest of the series. You don't think so? I think he's. I think we might see him if it does go to six or seven, just because they need him. He he's changes that lineup so they far. And Nico Nico Sturm took a really bad penalty near the end of the game when he over the boards delay a game. It was just a bad play by him. So if they can get him out of the lineup, drop Darren Helm, JT Comfort back down to the third and fourth lines, that that would really really round out their uh, lineup to get Nazim Kadri back. All right, we had a little dust up at the end of the game, and here's what I was noticing. Corey Perry's he's doing his normal piece of garbage, Corey Perry stuff where every scrum he's in there. He's like, looks like he's just completely lost and he jabs somebody. It's do he does what Corey Perry does. Everyone expects it. And here's my umbrage with Colorado. You know, what's happening. The guy's punching your goalie. I know it was just a jab or a touch, but he still punches him in the stomach. Every scrum he's in there. Colorado has no, no response to this. The only guy who is even showing any sign of life or pushback, is Cogliano, who just had surgery on his hand. He's throwing punches. He's in there. He's battling. He's swinging his stick. He's chopping down Pat Maroon. He is showing some pushback. And when you're down six to two and the game is all but over and they're just running the clock out and there's a scrum and you're Josh Manson and Kucherov comes in and sucker somebody, <coughs> excuse me, why are you not blasting Kucherov in the face? Why are you not right down the pipe, taking Sergachev and just dropping him when he's going after your guys. I don't understand the mindset of these guys. And I just, it got me thinking like, is this the new NHL where it's just, I know fighting is, is on an uptick, but why is there, did you notice that? Cause it started to get a little more chippy near the end of the game. There was a little more scrums and it was all instigated by Tampa guys. It was all instigated by Corey Perry. Why not in a scrum? Because back in my day, I hate to be that old guy back in my day. If there was a scrum and you were down and you were losing and the game was over, you would be trying to send a message, if not trying to hurt somebody. And you would just be punching everybody in a scrum. Were you surprised that there was nothing of that? And then finally, it did finally boil over to a fight. And it was a great fight. Colton and O'Connor, that was a heck of a fight, those two. But it took them them at least 15 to 20 seconds to finally drop the gloves. They didn't want to. The refs were like, you guys should probably fight right now. Like, let's fight, fight, fight. The refs were just like begging them to fight. And finally, they just said, okay, we'll fight. And it was a great fight. But before that, didn't you think it was strange that every scrum, it it just seemed like no one was really doing anything. It's like, if, if you're down, start punching guys. Well, don't, I mean, everyone gets a little bit tighter and more behaved during the Stanley Cup final because the stakes are so high. No one wants to be the one that escalates something and puts his team down on the on the penalty kill or, you know. But you're already out of the game. The game's already over. The game's over. You, you, you're you losing six to two. There's only five minutes left. You're not going to come back. And you're Josh Manson. And you see these guys going like Kucherov. He came in and buried somebody. And he's their best guy. You you label that guy. You, you rate down Main Street. Like with your glove on, you punch him in the face and you send a message saying, don't do that again. Even if it doesn't even send a message, you hopefully break his nose. So it affects him next next game. I, I just didn't get it. 
Do you think it has something to do with the coaches too? Like neither one of those guys are telling their team like, hey, go out there and go out there and do it. Where if it was a Sutter, for example, he you probably would have saw a different type of response in that situation. Yeah, probably. I, I just think it's it's not the way I, I would like to coach. <laughs> I wouldn't tell my guys to go, but I would. I would say if there's a scrum, I expect everyone to start throwing punches if we're down by four or five. Like keep your glove on, don't get suspended, but just try to break guys' noses. And then that'll affect them for next game. That's what I would do. Maybe that's why I'm not a coach. But I just think it's a no-brainer, especially when Tampa Bay is being the aggressor. They're the team coming after you. They're the team initiating all of these scrums, whether it's around your goaltender, whether it's Corey Perry being, you know, sticking Cogliano and Cogliano slashing them back and this and that. So I just noticed, I'm like, why aren't they doing it? Like, there's five minutes left. You're going to lose this game. Let's go. Let's, let's do something here. All right. The big takeaways for me, Tim, after this game and the big takeaways for Tampa Bay, I think your first line is dominant. That's number one. And Vasilevsky played great. You, you have to hope that Vasilevsky can continue this for the whole series. Because if he does, you always have a chance when he's playing that good. And if your first line can continue to get the chances that they're getting, I think that's huge. We're going to have a – that's the thing. Kucherov's hurt. Nick Paul's hurt. Those are two of your arguably biggest pieces on your team. Nick Paul does so much for this team. Kucherov, everybody knows what he does for this team. Braden Point's already out. Can Tampa overcome – when three of their most important players are out of the lineup. I don't think they can for as good as they were. And just from last night, Hedman doesn't look good. He doesn't look like the Victor Hedman that he was the last two, the last two years. Don't you think he's not as noticeable? Yes. He had an assist or this and that. And he, he didn't look as good. He was turning the puck over. He was having uncharacteristic, just puck luck. And Ryan McDonough didn't look good either. He looked slow. He looked like he was making bad decisions. He didn't look like the same McDonough that he was the last two seasons. So I, I, I can't trust Tampa Bay. I don't know. I, I, I think Colorado wins this in five now. Just from watching the first three games, I'm like, they look so, even in a 6-2 loss, I still felt like Colorado was the better team. But the biggest takeaways for me, yeah, Vasilevsky, great. Colorado's first line, non-existent, really. They didn't, they didn't really do much. Tampa Bay's first line was out of this world, producing, getting goals, what are your takeaways from you going into game four? Well, one of the big things for me is Colorado. They've scored 13 goals now across these three games. Nathan McKinnon hasn't scored yet, and he has only two assists, which is – I don't know what to make of that. Because in one point, like, the, the depth guys are doing their thing, and even when he's not scoring, McKinnon's still super noticeable out there. Um, especially the way him and McCarr move across the point in the power play is just something else. But same time do you want don't you want him to be leading the charge here because if it was in three games matthews is going to have three or four goals at this point you know mcdavid's going to have probably 10 points across these three games is it does it bother you does it make you think at all that mckinnon only has two assists or is it okay to you not really because he still looks dominant he'll get his like when you watch the game he's got a ton of great a chances he's always he's forcing the play he's driving the the pace he we mentioned it before the before the show where there was one time his winger was trying to get him the puck. I don't know if it was Nishuskin or Landeskog, and it was just a step behind him because he was already gone. He, he was just trying to get up the ice. Every time he gets the puck, it's just, okay, he's at one speed, and boom, he's gone. He's either cutting to the middle, he's going wide, then he's cutting to the middle. He's getting to the dangerous areas. He will score his goals. I think it's a good problem Colorado has where they have scored 13 goals. He doesn't have any of them. It's a good thing that they're go- they have right now. So he will pick it up. He will get his goals. It wouldn't surprise me if he gets two or three the next game. He is too good to stay off that store score sheet. You know what else is too good? DoorDash. 
When I'm hungry, I use DoorDash. I use promo code GlovesDDUS. If I'm in the USA, GlovesDD. If I'm in Canada, get 25% off free delivery. Get yourself some food, game night. Get yourself some appetizers from Buffalo Wild Wings. Everything gets to your door. Everything is nice and hot when you want it, how you want it. DoorDash is fantastic. We use them. Tim uses them. Everybody uses them. So check it out. Get yourself a nice deal. At the same time, GlovesDDUS. If you're in the US of A, GlovesDD. If you're in Canada, DoorDash. All right, Tim, let's do some quick hits. The coaching carousel is finally starting to clarify itself. We have some vacancies being filled. The Edmonton Oilers, not so surprising, are finalizing a deal with their interim head coach, Jay Woodcroft. Good good choice for the Oilers, Tim? I think so. Yeah, he seems to get the, get the most out of his players. I think they overachieved a little bit this year. Um, he's a good coach. He's a young coach, and I think the players respond to him. So good move for him. I know the fan base likes him as well. News out of Philadelphia, John Tortorella had his first press conference and he vowed to change the culture, Tim. Stanley Cup champions? Is that what it means? I said last week when the news came through, he's he's their bridge coach. I think he you, you, he's the coach for the next – I think he's signed a four-year deal. They're going to offload some of the bad contracts. JVR only has one more. Giroux is already gone. Couturier is already gone. They're going to finish off getting rid of that, that generation, bring up the young kids. He's going to change the culture a little bit, like you said. Uh, he's still not there in the long term. The, the, the recipe or their, their standard for success is still pretty low. But I do think he means it. I think he'll do what he says is changing the culture. He will hold guys accountable. He will make them work harder probably than they have the last year or two. So I think I'm good with that. Yeah, he's going to go and beg skate everybody. It's going to be great. It's a terrible decision to bring him in as a coach. They're on different trajectories, the coach and the franchise. The franchise should be in the trajectory trajectory of rebuilding. We need to tank for a couple of years, rebuild our system, get some good young players. Let's let's try to rebuild the Philadelphia Flyers. John Tortorella comes in. He wants to win now. So there will be a, a point where he's going to have to either swallow his pride and just realize, okay, we're going to, we're going to tank and I'm going to rebuild these young guys for someone else to come in and take the reins or management is just going to have to say, you know what, John, let's go for it. You're a good coach. We're going to have to get you some players in here to try to succeed. It, it, they have different ideas of where the franchise is heading. And so that's, that's why this was a bad, a bad hire. They should have got a young guy to come in who is not a new coach, who hasn't been a coach before and just build this team, try to come together and say, you know what, we're going to go through the lean years, two or three years where we just, we're going to struggle, but then we're going to get some good young talent and then we'll go from there. But it's just, it doesn't make sense. This hiring. I, I don't understand it. It was a bad job for any coach and for him to take it for the, them to, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. All right. Some new names added to the trade rumors. Jeff Petrie out of Montreal. What's he saying? Yeah, uh, Pierre Lebrun talked on Insider Training, said there's, quote, there's no question that a trade is something that the Habs are working on. It's not guaranteed it'll happen, but there's certainly some effort being done right now on that front. The team to look out for in this one is Dallas. Uh, they're going to be looking to replace John Klingberg, who they haven't talked to in the last couple of weeks. So Klingberg definitely heading to free agency. He's going to be a UFA. They're going to be looking to fill that gap, and Jeff Petrie's on their target list. Um, he's, not a, he's not a pending free agent, though. He's got three more years at six and a quarter, which is – it's a pretty good contract. I don't know that he's uh, – Petrie seemed like the kind of guy who won't age very well, though. I feel like he's gonna, his injuries are, are going to catch up to him. Um, he'll be a good player. He's probably not worth $6 million in two or three years, but um, that's the risk they're going to take if you, when you lose one of your top guys in Klingberg. So I think probably Dallas, but I'm sure a lot of teams are calling in on him. If Dallas takes this contract on, it's such a bad contract. Why not just pay like an extra million and keep Klingberg? It's that doesn't really make sense to me unless Montreal eats some of that cap because Klingberg, 
He doesn't. I don't. I don't think he's going to garner a nine million dollar contract. Do you? He, he's not a very. He is a no. little offensively gifted, but he's not the guy who's going to put up 10, 15, 20 goals. Like he, he gets six goals a year. That that's his average. If, if you're Klingberg's agent, what are you asking for? What's your starting price? Well, you're asking for nine. I would think like he made four point two five last year. He's a good defenseman. But I think you start at nine and you settle around seven. So to bring in Petrie at six and a half, I don't know. I don't, we'll see if that pans out. Maybe Klingberg just doesn't like how Dallas has negotiated with them. They obviously put all their confidence in Heiskanen. Then they go out and they bring in – who is that other guy they brought in in Dallas instead of signing Klingberg? They, they brought in uh, – Ryan Suter. Essa Lindell and Ryan Suter. They, oh. they put their eggs in those baskets. So maybe he's just fed up with Dallas and he wants, wants a fresh, fresh start somewhere else. But I don't think Petrie going to Dallas is the answer for that team. They need some offense up front. They need to, to interject those forwards with some young guys who can actually make something happen rather than relying on Joe Pavelski the whole time of the 37 year old aging wonder. All right. Anthony Beauvillier, Tim, what's going on with Anthony Beauvillier? A one time, just dynamic forward, the big playoff run they had two years ago. He was the revelation last year. He, he kind of tapered off a little bit. What's going on with him? Why is he on the market all of a sudden? I don't know. This this one is strange to me. 21 years old, four years ago, he scored 21 goals. And last year he scored just 12. Um, pretty big drop off. He's he's just not he's not the same player we've seen the last couple of years when he broke into the league, when he when they went on that run. I I know from experience, having watched him play against the Bruins, he's so effective. He's so fast. It seems like he's creating opportunities left and right, but you, he hasn't been able to build on any prior success and he hasn't been able to do much in the playoffs since that one run. So I don't know what it is. It's probably a classic case of a, a young player needing a change of scenery. Um, he's added to the the top of daily face-off Frank Saravelli's trade market. He's got two more years on his contract, just making a little over $4 million. So he's got a pretty good contract. I could see him fitting in somewhere else, but this could also be one of those cases. We talked about it before, Galchenyuk, the Galchenyuk effect, where a kid has a big first year, and then that's all people remember. They hope that he kind of builds on that, and he's still got that name value, that brand value, even though he hasn't done much, like a Jake DeBrus, like a Max Domi. Which, which direction do you go with him? Well, it's, it's hard to call him a bust because he, you can lock him in for 30 points. But do you really want your 30-point guy being paid $4.5 million? Is, is that a good number for a guy who gets 30 points? You lock him in for 12 to 18 goals and like 20 assists? Is that a $4.5 million guy now? If you ask me without looking at the stats, I didn't realize how, how much he had fallen off. I would have guessed he's a 20-goal, 50-point player, and he's not even close. No, he's he's he hasn't fallen off. I think when you're young and you get that high point total, he got 24 and 36 his first two years. You expect him to to progress, to to get better, and he hasn't. He stayed he stayed dead straight. He's gotten 28 points, 39 points, 28 points, 34 points. So he's not lighting the world on fire. Yes, he did have those a couple good playoff runs where he's averaging just under a point per game. But I don't know. Yeah, he's he's an okay player. He's a third line guy. That's where I put him. I put him third line, let him go out there, take advantage of the matchup. But a third line guy, you can't pay him $4.1 million. A third line guy is 2.5. So if, if I'm a GM, I'm unloading this contract because it's a bad contract. He, he is not worth $4.15 million. And knowing him, knowing the NHL, when he goes on the free market, he's like, yeah, man, see that playoff run I had two years ago? That was unbelievable. 
just just get me out with the good good players. I'll, I'll produce. But it's like no, he's a, he he is a bad contract. And this is a definition of the Galchenyuk factor where people think of Beauvillier, they think of that playoff run where he was remarkable. It was him. It was Barzal. They were carrying this team. He was he was out of this world. And then you dig a little deeper, and it's like, yeah, he's not that good. Maybe he's not that good. But a GM will pay for this guy because they have this memory of him of just leading this Islanders team to the Eastern conference finals two years in a row, but they'll be disappointed when they get him in the regular season, because he's an average, he's not a terrible player, but if he signs for anywhere above $4 million, it'll be a bad contract. That's my opinion. I don't think he's worth that much. Sign him for three, two and a half, three. That's his wheelhouse, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the market has shifted, but it just seems to me that he's overpaid as it is right now. All right. What else are we doing? Uh, tough news for the Capitals fans. Backstrom had a hip surgery. He's got no timetable t- time to return, so expected to miss the start of the season. I don't know if this is a huge deal for them just because, you know, he'll be back when the, when the games start mattering the second half of the season, and I think they have a chance of making the playoffs again, but still not good to see a, a star player go down with that. So keep an eye on I don't on think it's bad for them. Washington. He makes 9.25. He's been regressing the last three years. He ha- he's not the same player that he was in 2017, 18, 18, 19, when they won the Stanley Cup, he, he is slowly regressing. And a hip surgery, he's out. Maybe he won't play again, which is bad for him. Wouldn't be terrible for Washington. They get that $9.5 million back, go out, sign someone else. That's what happens when you get older, Tim. He's played a lot of hockey in his day. He's played somewhere north of 120, 130 playoff games over his career. He's 34 years old. It happens. So it's not the worst thing in the world for Washington to kind of give him the year. Maybe he gets back to the player he was. They save that money. They can go out, add some pieces because they need it. They they desperately need to interject some young talent in this lineup. Someone to take the reins from the Ovechkins, the Kuznetsovs, the Ochis. Anthony Mantho was supposed to be that guy. He's not that guy. He's not that guy. He, he makes 5.7. It's He's overpaid. He He really is overpaid. Maybe he kind of turns into a good player, but hey, he's not that guy. So good for good for Backstrom. Hopefully he heals up nicely. Washington, that is a good cap relief that can go do something with that. Anything else, Tim? <coughs> no, no. What are you what are you expecting for game four? Let's make our picks. Points bet, Ontario, points bet Canada, use them. Everybody gambles on points bet. It's so super duper fun. Points bet, points bet. I think Colorado's gonna come back and dominate. I think Francois is gonna be in the pipes. And Colorado wins this game going away. I, I think it was just an, it was a blip on the radar. I think this is a five game series now. I hope it goes to seven. I hope I'm wrong, but Colorado just is, is a very dangerous team, Tim. They're a very dangerous team. What do you think? Uh, I think Tampa ties it up. It's the goaltending for me. I think I think we're going to see a bounce back. I'm sure it'll be closer, maybe like a four to two game, something like that. But I do like uh, Tampa to tie this thing up, heading back to Colorado. All Frank Cousin has to do is save the shots that he's supposed to save. That's it. Save the ones that you're supposed to save. The ones that hit you in the body, save those. The one that hit you in the blocker, save that. I don't care if you let in two or three goals. We can manage with that. Don't do what Darcy Frank Core just did. You have to save the pucks that you, you can. Darcy Kemper, why did I say Frank Core? Who's the Frank Core guy? Jeff Frank Core. Anyways, I don't know. But I, I'm taking Colorado. You're taking Tampa Bay. We will see you guys. When do you want to do another one? Thursday? Whenever you want, John. I'm at your beck and call. No, you weren't, because I wanted to do one yesterday, but you were hungover, getting drunk with mom on Main Street, tasting all those hoppy beers. I know how you That's roll. Right. Right, we'll be back on Thursday after, because we got a Wednesday game tomorrow. We'll, we'll talk to everybody on Thursday. All right, everybody. Have a good one. Cheers. 
Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.